thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagined that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase, a broken heart, comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then, on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart, or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life, and there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then, in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known proverb, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. Now the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick. Who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So today, as we talk about the issues of the heart, I want to use a quote from last week. It's the same quote by C.S. Lewis. He was a young man that was born in Ireland, went to England, did his studies, and eventually became an English professor at Oxford University. He lived a natural life until he joined a small group of people, including Tolkien and others, 
And during that, he was introduced to the gospel, introduced to Jesus Christ, introduced to the purposes and plans of God that he has for human beings. And during that moment, C.S. Lewis gave his life to Christ. Over time, because he was a professor and was wise in his understanding of things, he devoted himself to God's word and he became an apologist. An apologist is not someone who makes apologies for Christianity. An apologist is someone who answers questions based on truth to help people understand. And not only that, he went on the radio during the Second World War and did a daily devotional for the nation so that people could begin to be confident and have hope and comfort in God. He eventually wrote Narnia and a whole bunch of 30 different books. And so he's an incredible example of what happens when someone moves from actually being an atheist to becoming a follower of Jesus. And he talks about the heart, and he talks about things like what we do with our heart. And he says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even to fufu. All right? Don't even want to do that. You wrap it carefully round with hobbies, little luxuries, and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will simply become unbreakable, impenetrable irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. How many would agree with that? To love is to be vulnerable. And so Brene Brown also says we cannot selectively numb our emotions. When we numb the painful emotions, we also numb the positive emotions. So there's something about living a whole life, living our life in such a way as that we're integrated mind, body, and soul and we're able to live out how God wants to live out, not half-hearted, but whole-hearted. And there's nothing worse than watching someone who's just living a half-hearted life and just kind of going through the motions. And so we always have a question that we have to struggle with, and that is, can you trust God with your whole heart? I remember when we first became believers and Joyce had just come to faith, and she was in the kitchen one day, and the Lord spoke to her and said, Joyce, give me your children. And she said, no, I can't do that because I don't know you well enough to give you my children. And then over time, as she got to know who the Lord was, and he kept revealing his heart to her, eventually she said, Lord, I'm able to present my children to you and give them to you. So how many know that trusting God is based on getting to know him? And as you get to know him, you open your heart a little bit more and more. There is something that goes on in a conversation that Jesus has with a scribe. Scribes were the scholars of the day. They understood the word of God, and they were able to interact and to clarify things with people. So asking questions was very normal for them. And out of the Ten Commandments given from God, human beings added 600-plus more. So we ask ourselves, in the midst of all of those rules and regulations, the scribe was saying, which one is the most important? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love 
your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, well, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there's no other beside him. To love him with all the heart and with understanding, with strength, and to love one neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. How many know people that know some things about the Bible? And they have an opportunity to kind of throw those things back at you. And uh, sometimes it's just hit and miss. It's all over the place. So I want to do something today to help you. And that is I want you to use your creative memory and I want you to paint some pictures in your mind. How many ready to do that? You'll cooperate. Hand up. Let me see. You know, some of you wouldn't even raise your hand if I said, do you love your mother? I'm not trying to trick you. Do you have a car? Have you ever been in a car? When you sit behind the, the steering wheel of the car, I want you to see instead of a steering wheel, it's replaced by a heart. You see that? Now, on the dash, you have some dials. On the left-hand side, I want you to see all of the indicators for passenger comfort. In the middle, I want you to see all the indicators for fluids in your car. Gas and oil and washer fluid, all of those things. And on the right-hand side, I want you to see all the working parts that go on in your engine. So how many have already seen those things? You've got the steering wheel as a heart. You've got all the passenger comforts, all the fluids, and all the working parts. When something goes wrong when you're driving and an indicator light comes on, how many know it's important to know what that light means? So, very important question. How many of you know in your car comes a manufacturer's owner's manual? How many know that? How many of you have ever read through the owner's manual? <laughs> Couple of you. I had a situation a few weeks back where I was in my car and I got on a hill and the car started to move back a bit. I didn't know how, apart from keeping my foot on the brake, how am I going to do this? And I'm looking around at the indicators and I see a button. And the button says A-V-H. I'm thinking, what is an A-V-H? I don't remember reading that in the owner's manual. So when I finally get home, I open up the, the owner's manual. An AVH is an automatic vehicle hold. In the old days, we called it an emergency brake. I'm looking down at an ABH saying, what is an ABH? 99% of the time, you and I drive our cars, we don't even think about those things. But on the dash, there are some colors that come up as well. Every so often, an indicator light comes on and it's red. Red means immediate action required. Sometimes there's a caution light that comes on. In other words, the indicator's amber in color. 
And that means like when you see your, your check engine when it comes on, it's always caution. And that means you can limp home. You've got some time. And then we either have green or blue indicators that come on, and those is just information for us. So when you're driving your car, you don't know what's going on under the hood. You don't have your head in there. Plus, when I get stuck on the side of the road and I lift the hood, I just stand there and I go, I wonder what's wrong. <laughs> I can teach the Bible, but I can only rob a car. I don't know how to fix it. All of those things are there to help us understand, is this a passion-related issue? Is this a fluid-related issue? Or has this got something to do with the moving parts that are going on? So when you have read through your owner's manual and you understand, then when whatever's under the hood's not working right and it starts to indicate something to you, you know how to take action for that. Agreed? I mean, no, the Bible is the owner's manual so that you know when things are not working the way they should in your life and there's some indicator lights coming on, when you go back to the owner's manual, he will show you what's going on under the hood. So when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the whole of who we are. And when we give our life to Christ and we give him our heart, what we're really saying is, Lord, you have authority in every area of my life. And over my lifespan, I want to learn to trust you in every area so that I can put into practice what Romans says, that we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And what that means is we're beginning to reflect his character. How he responded to the Father's will and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that's what we want to do with our lives. And so the scribe and Jesus are having this conversation, and it's incredible because Jesus says to him, you know what, what you've just said, you're not that far from the kingdom, but there's a gap between us. You can have the right questions, you can arrive at the right conclusions, but still wrestle with the central question. The question for the scribe is, yes, you know a lot of stuff, but are you willing to trust God with your whole heart? And there's no record that he does. Loving Jesus with our whole heart allows him to transform us so that we learn to think like him, to feel like him, to respond to him. Last week, Pastor Jeff was talking about love. And that's a different kind of word in the Greek. There's four aspects of it. There's eros. So when a Greek speaker is talking about eros, everybody understands he's talking about or she's talking about romantic love. Storge is familiar love or relationships between brothers and sisters and moms and dads and uncles and aunts. It's the family structure of how we walk in relationship to one another. Then there's phileo the kind of love we have for our friends. And then there's agape. Agape is what Jeff was talking about last week, and that is our love for God and his love for us. So it's amazing. If I say to Joyce, honey, I love you, uh, she hears the word love. If I go outside and I see my motorcycle and I say, I love you. How many I'm using the same word. And... If I go into your home and Fufu's there, 
and I hear you say, oh, come to Daddy Fufu, I think, first of all, you're nuts. And secondly, we don't have other words to use for our expression of love to things. But the Greek does. So when you're understanding the New Testament in the Greek, then you begin to appreciate the levels and the understandings of how we put these things into place. And so here we are saying, Lord, I want to give you, I want to take the Shema, and I want to love you with my whole heart, which means, first of all, I want to love you with my thoughts. So I pick up the Word of God. I begin to read it. What am I doing? I'm looking at thousands of years of history where God has taken the time to reveal himself through the centuries in every different facet so that men and women can begin to see as they're reading through it, it will also read them and show them that they're in the same position as many have been in the past, and yet in that, God has revealed himself absolutely trustworthy. So when that happens, when your thoughts and your mind has been renewed, very easy to begin to cooperate with the Lord, no matter what the indicator light is that's coming towards you, no matter what the dashboard is saying, no matter what's going on under the hood, you can say with confidence, Lord, I trust you. When Joyce was praying this morning, I was thinking of an incident in the life of a man called Smith Wigglesworth. Some of you may have read about Smith Wigglesworth, an amazing man of God, and he ended up one day standing at the bedside of a lady that was dying. And her husband had asked Smith to come and to join him in prayer. And while they were standing at the edge of the bed and the husband was beginning to pray for his wife, he was praying all around the world, but he wasn't praying for her. And he was praying in such a way as you could tell he didn't know God as healer. He didn't know him as faithful, as a supernatural miracle worker, a God of the impossible. And as he's continuing to pray, indicators are going off under the hood of Smith Wigglesworth's heart. And he finally said to the husband, will you stop? If you're going to pray, pray in faith believing. And so he prayed in faith, Smith did. He prayed in faith, believing for healing to enter this woman's life. And she was miraculously healed. And so years later, Smith Wigglesworth would always say, you have to pray in faith, believing, and you have to learn he's the God of the impossible, and our part is to pray in faith, believing. His part is to do the miracle. And he became known as one of those men that traveled out through all throughout England and other parts of the world, and people came, and crowds just came out to hear him and to see what God was doing through his life. So there's something in your life that when your mind gets renewed, you think very, very different, and you understand that this, we're talking about the whole of you. And as you think different, it affects your emotions, your emotions affect your choices. Your choices affect your behavior. Your behavior is what identifies what's really going on in your heart and life. But how many know that in your heart and my heart, uh, sometimes our hearts can be stubborn, and other times our hearts can be surrendered? It just depends on the situation. So if you're driving down the road and you're heading to Toronto in your car, and red lights start flashing on your dash, 
you know you have to pull over. If your fuel is going low, you need to look for a gas station. In your life, when God starts looking under the hood, it'll be because of all the situations that you find yourself in. They will challenge issues of your heart. And so for Smith Wigglesworth, he was challenged at that moment to say, Lord, this poor man is praying, but he's praying in unbelief for his spouse. I want to pray in faith, believing you. Years later, he tells the story of getting a vision, and uh, he saw Jesus with a smile on his face towards him. How many would love the smile of God on their life? That's what you want. That's what I want. And that's as we are conformed to the image of Jesus, God shows us what's under the hood of our lives in how we're thinking, how we're feeling, how we're acting, how we're making choices, the things that we're doing with our life. So if you're struggling in your thoughts about what God thinks about you, then study the Scriptures. If you're worried about what's going on in your emotions and how God feels towards you, read those stories where God reveals himself. We'll talk about it in a moment, but how David feels towards God. If it's choices that you have to make, what did the biblical characters in the stories of the Bible, what choices did they make and what were the outcome of those choices? And if it's physical, um, I'm probably, I said to someone after the first service, I'm probably going to get in trouble saying this because some of you are going to cancel me on Facebook. But when I go on Facebook and some people's faces come up and opportunities come up and I look and here's what crosses my mind. We say sometimes I'm a follower of Jesus and so the Bible says then your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I see things and it looks more like a nightclub, right? When you look at what people are doing with their life, it's an indicator of what has captured their heart. And whatever captures your heart and whatever you focus on, that becomes your identity. And so we have to be very cautious and very careful sometimes to keep our eyes on Jesus. And as we do that, we become more like him. Whatever captures your heart sets the course for your identity. So in the story of the scribe, what was important to him was he had to be able to see what was under the hood of his life. And he had a lot of knowledge, but he didn't have the faith to take the step to follow Jesus the way Jesus was inviting him. And so we discover that God is trustworthy by looking at his heart towards us, not merely ours towards him. And there's always been this thing, Lord, I give you my heart. How many know that's important? We give him our heart. But a better aspect to that on the other side of the coin is, Lord, give me your heart. Because if I have your heart, then I'm going to think like you. I'm going to have my heart stirring to see things the way you see. I'm going to be broken the way you're broken. Joyce and I went to see the movie Unplanned the other night. And while I'm sitting there, tears start streaming down my face because I'm looking at what this young lady, Abby Johnson, had to do as a director of Planned Parenthood. And when she was confronted with abortion and what it really meant, it broke her heart. And so I thought of my daughter, Kim, and uh, all the things that she's been doing working at First Place Maternal Options and the challenges that young ladies have when they come in with an unplanned pregnancy. And... When you have his heart, there are things that break his heart, and there are things that break our heart. 
And so it's never a judgment. It's always the compassion of God. It's the heart of God for people to be healthy and to be whole and to live a wonderful life. And that you see when you say, Lord, I know I've given you my heart, but Lord, would you give me your heart? And when he gives you his heart, everything changes on the inside of you. David went through that when he talked about trusting God, uh, that his heart was courageous, but his heart at times was confused, and his heart at times was crushed. In Psalm 40, he said, Lord, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with what with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. David is really looking out through his own heart and through his own life, and he's saying, Lord, you're this to me, but you're bigger than that. Have you ever noticed in your life that if everybody thought like you, the world would be a wonderful place? When the Lord speaks to me sometimes and he says, Barry, I'm going to show you what's under the hood of your heart. Have you ever had people tick you off? You ever had some red light people come into your life? How about caution light people? How about just blue light people? Sometimes there are people that absolutely tick me off. And you know what those people say? You really tick me off sometimes. We all tick each other off. The purpose of ticking one another off is to understand what's under the hood. And when you understand what's under the hood, indicator lights come on. Scriptures that you know begin to go across your mind. And you realize, Lord, thank you for showing me me because I have committed my heart to change. And I want to be like you. And David goes on and talks about all the things that God has done for him. I want you to know, too, that Jonah struggled with the Ninevites. It wasn't that the Ninevites were as bad as Jonah thought. It was that in Jonah's heart, they ticked him off. And the last thing he wanted was for them to repent, to change, and have a relationship with God. That's like us with politicians. The Bible tells us to pray for those in leadership. Sometimes when I pray for political leaders, I pray, Jesus, get them. Why? Because they're ticking me off. And other times the Lord said, well, you're to pray for them because I'm going to break into their hearts and into their life. And if I get a leader, I get a nation. So Jonah's frustrated with praying for the Ninevites because if they repent, Jonah will have to deal with his own heart. Anybody tick you off that God is putting on your heart to pray for? Anybody in your life you're struggling with, any challenges you're going through? Just know every one of us are going through things. Nobody is exempt. We all go through stuff because God wants to conform all of us to be like his son. He was the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And so that's the challenge that we have. In the Bible, it talks about God creating man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. 
So what are some of the male characteristics that God reveals in his word? In Psalm 103, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Father's heart towards his children. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus reveals the heart of God as a father in the way that a father should act towards his children, to give them confidence as they read his word to trust him. But also there are female characteristics found in Isaiah 66. While the nation's going through great discomfort, he says, as one who mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And so this real sense of the care and the love of a mother's heart. And then, Matthew 23, the one that we're all familiar with when you think we live in a capital city and Jesus comes into a ca his capital city and he looks out over his people and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would gather your children together as a hand gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. It's not a God issue at that point. It's a people issue. It's a heart issue. It's an unwillingness to yield to what God wants to do. It is saying my tradition's more important than truth. It's being able to say, well, we're this way, and we're not necessarily going to listen to the prophets, and we're not going to listen to the scribes, and we're not going to listen to those that you have sent to us. And yet God continues to send his people into the world to reach out to other people. Why? Because he loves them. Aren't you glad he loved you? Aren't you glad that at some point you opened your heart just a little bit and he was able to enter in? So in your journey and my journey, when I'm sitting behind the wheel and I'm driving in my car and I'm going somewhere, the dashboard is really important to me. I want to be able to make sure that I'm steering in the right direction. I have a car now that warns me even when I go into the wrong lane because at my age, I have to have that. It's very important. And so I'll go in here, beep, beep. Okay, i got to come back. And I can also set it now where if I start to daydream, as you get older, you daydream a little bit, the car in front of me decides to stop, my car will stop. How many know all that's freaky? But it's for safety. It's for warning. It's for recognition. There are things going on to keep you on your journey and keep it safe. Not only that, but keep others safe. Safe from who? Safe from you as you're driving your vehicle. And so the heart of God is not far from any of us, and that's why the writers of Scripture encourage us to trust the Lord with all our heart. Uh, Galatians 2 says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. When I first started out as a pastor, there was a course that I taught because it was so impactful from my own heart, and it was, this is my body, but it's his life. All of a sudden, I'm fueled differently. All of a sudden, my motivations are different. All of a sudden, the passenger comforts that I need in my life, there are warning lights to help me. The fluids in my life, those are things that keep me open to the things of the Spirit of God. Barry, you're, you're, you're low, and you need to be filled up. And then there's all these working parts that are going on in my vehicle. Same as in my own life. When things go wrong physically, Lord, I want my body to be healed. I need my body to be, 
touched so that I can continue on my journey and do the things you're calling me to do. So my body, yes, but his life. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God, who did what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's Jesus on the cross saying, these are my thoughts towards you. I want you to be where I am. And so it's important to consider your heart towards God, but really important to consider his heart inside of you towards others. Let's all stand together for a moment. Jesus gives us an owner's manual. I hope we don't approach it the same way we approach our owner's manual for our car. Because if we do, when indicators come on, we're not going to know how to address them. I want you to put your hand over your heart. And Father, as we pray today, we want to say thank you that our identity is wrapped up in what captures our heart. And we want it to be captured by you. We want to be able, Lord, in the Shema, to be able to say not only do we love you with all our heart, but yes, we want to obey all the things that you call us to. So, Father, let your healing virtue come now into every one of our lives. If we're suffering with indicator lights going on that are red, we know, Lord, we need to take immediate action for these issues in our life. If there are caution lights on the dashboard of our heart, and Father, we can limp home, but it would be better that we deal with that. And if there are informational lights coming, may we respond to that according to your handbook so that we can live our lives the way you're calling us to. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to our hearts and to change our lives. Do that today in every one of our lives, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.